The next thing we're going to do here, too, uh, very excited about this. Over the past almost year, nine months, uh, we have been running a program here called Freedom Session. Uh, Amanda has been our director. I'm going to call you up here, Amanda. We're going to just be sharing, because this is the end of it now. After Freedom Session, Section 1, Section 2, a section called Authentic Living, massive program that just dives deep into like every deep part of your soul and brings Jesus into it for redemption and restoration, the things that just we cannot get by in our life. And, you know, I'm going to let you speak way more on this because you're way better at it. Um, but I just, I just want to pray for you as, you as you do this. It's the graduation day, uh, so we're going to hear some testimonies. We're going to share, and we're going to celebrate people who've walked through that. So, God, thank you for the passion you've given Amanda to run this program. God, thank you for bringing people to this place to, to encounter you and invite you into the deepest parts of, our, of their souls and lives, God, that you can bring restoration, God, you can bring transformation, God, that you have done these things. We cannot wait to hear about them, God. I just pray that you bless this moment, bless the people sharing, and give us ears and eyes to hear and see how you are working uh, in people's lives. Amen. Thank you, Grant, and thank you, worship team. Those were amazing songs that just tied right into our morning, so good job choosing them. So welcome to our Freedom Session graduation, especially welcome to our graduates and all the people who've come to celebrate them this morning. Grant went over a little bit about what Freedom Session is, but it is a healing discipleship journey, and it's an effective tool for the church, actually, to um, bring about discipleship, because we want people to be able to be ready to do the work that God has prepared them for, and when we're bound up with our um, guilt, shame, bitterness, and sinful behavior, we're trapped, and we can't do the, what God has designed us to do. So that's what Freedom Session is all about. It's about helping us break those chains and walk in the freedom that Jesus has given us. All right. Um, so God has planned for us from the beginning of time to walk in freedom. And then, as Grant said, over the last eight months, we started out with 22 participants. And then in January, we went down to 17. And then for Authentic Living, the last book, we're down to 14 participants. And now we have seven amazing graduates. And I'm so proud of them. They have done so much work. They've done 28 sessions, 12 steps, three books, and many hours of soul-searching homework and small group discussions. And I want to show you a little bit about what they have accomplished. I'm going to read through the 12 steps that they've accomplished. All right, sorry, I didn't print them out, so I'm reading it off my phone. It's a little awkward. So step one, we admitted that in our own strength, we were powerless to rise above our hurts, resentments, unhealthy behaviors, and attempts at control. Our lives have become unmanageable. Step two, we came to believe that God exists, that he loves us deeply, and that through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we can be healed and fulfill the purposes for which we've been created. Step three, we made a conscious decision to turn our lives, our pain, and our wills over to the care of God and the leadership of Jesus Christ. Step four, we took an inventory of our lives, facing the truth of where we've been hurt, how we've hurt others, and the secrets we carry in our hearts. Step five, we broke the power of shame by confessing to God and other human being the exact nature of our wrongs, the lies we've believed, and the secrets we've vowed to take to the grave. Step six, 
we humbly asked God to forgive our wrongdoings and, based on his forgiveness, chose to also forgive others. We then forgave those who hurt us, releasing our bitterness and trusting God to bring about justice in his way and timing. Step seven, we admitted our shortcomings, pride, sinful tendencies, and selfishness without excuse. We repented and asked God to replace our character defects with his character. Step eight, we accepted responsibility for how we have harmed others, made a list of those we've offended, and become willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, we made specific and direct amends to those we have hurt whenever possible, except when to do so would further injure them or others who are innocent. For such persons, we made specific and indirect amends. Step 10, we entered an authentic relationship with God. This is authentic living. Learning to hear his voice and understand his will for our lives through Bible reading and personal interaction with the Holy Spirit. Step 11, we determined to live authentically with ourselves, creating a life plan to establish priorities, develop integrity, and formulate the values by which we live. And the final step, step 12, we committed to live authentically with others, taking responsibility for our attitudes, judgments, behaviors, and boundaries. Realizing our own shortcomings, we offer the same grace to others that God has extended to us. As God gives opportunity, we will share our story of finding healing, freedom, and purpose for life with others. And that's where um, I just wanted to just praise our graduates. That's a lot of work. Those are a lot of steps. And I just am so proud of you for your commitment and your bravery in doing these things. Um, yes, let's clap. <laughs> now, thank you, Justin. I just get the table over here. I'll call Brianna up. I'll ask the graduates to come line up on this side over here. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce our, our amazing Freedom Session graduates. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, Kate's not here, her child is sick, um, but... Um, Kate, um, Brianna, and Terry helped co-lead Freedom Session with me this year, and none of them had taken it, so they were super brave and courageous, and I just appreciate them so much. All right, Allison Pankratz. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, this is going to be so awkward. Sorry. Jean Knight. Janice Webb. Deborah Duran.
Cheryl Unger. Liz Lissamore. had one more graduate, Stacy Mitchell, but she's out of town today. All right, a big part of Freedom Session is being willing, after you've gone through the steps and experienced healing, is to share your story. And that's super terrifying. But normally at graduations, all of the graduates share their two-minute testimony. But obviously, we don't have time for all of that this morning. So three brave ladies have agreed to share their testimony. So Liz, Janice, and Deb, if you guys want to come stand up here, we can support each other standing on the stage. And I will let you share what God has been doing in your life. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get a podium. Oh, OK. <laughs> So I came to Freedom Session to let go. And I think God has been saying that for so long, is to just let go and of that control and that anger that has been in, inside of me for so long. So what Freedom Session has done for me, now this is a little bit different than what everyone would expect a testimony to be, but I prayed about this and this is what God gave to me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. If I could tell the world just one thing, it would be that we are all okay. Not to worry, because it is wasteful and useless in times like these. I won't be idled with despair. I will gather myself around my faith, for light does the darkness most fear. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My hands are small, I know, but they are not yours. <laughs> they are my own, and I am never broken. Poverty stole my golden shoes, but it didn't steal my laughter. And heartache came to visit me, but I knew it wasn't meant forever after. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, and ending love, amazing grace. We will fight not out of spite, for someone must stand for what is right. Where there is a man who has no voice, there's ours shall go singing. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forever to shine. But God, who called me here below, will be forever mine. In the end, only kindness matters. I will get down on my knees and pray. We are God's ears, his mind, his heart, 
and we all are in God's hands, as these are not yours or mine, but his who sets us free. And I will pray forward freedom session in God's plan for you and me. Good morning. I was invited to join Freedom Session by Caitlin Pankratz. Thank you, Katie. I was curious and wondered what this program would be like. The first few weeks were mind-blowing and a little bit overwhelming. Once I had made the commitment, I vowed to stay. As a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, I had always been in a self-protection mode for most of my life. Whether it be mental or physical, it would be, I would be on alert. It was an exhausting way to live. With the Freedom Courses, I have learned how to dig through all my layers of defense, be honest and give it all to God. With the help and support of all my new sisters in Christ, I can confidently say it is the first time in my life that I have no bad thoughts or despair. Even though on my journey I have lost family support, I know that I'm not alone here. Receiving encouragements from many of you here, I no longer feel alone or unwanted. The bonds that have formed with our women will last a lifetime. They've helped me shed guilt, shame, fear, and anger. There are no judgments, only love and acceptance, growth both personal and spiritual. I have learned how to examine my deepest fears and what an amazing journey. Along the way, I've had such wonderful support from my loving and supportive husband, Ken, who spent many Tuesday nights alone. <laughs> Thanks, honey. My sponsor, Linda Rempel, I thank you so much. Words do not say how my heart feels. In giving back, I have volunteered as a nursery helper, and my first day was last week. Karis captured my heart. <laughs> Thank you for Trudy for always being there for me, and thank you all very much. Thank you. Um, I first, I just want to thank God for these lovely ladies and uh, all of you, Amanda, Brianna, everyone's been part of Freedom Session. I call this God's story, my story. <clears throat> I came to Freedom Session looking to be free from the addiction that ruled my life. I was in a place of darkness, a slave to sin, not able to free myself. What God did through my Lord Jesus, Savior of my life, was more than I could ever have imagined. He showed me what it meant to have a life walking close to him in every aspect. He freed me from darkness. He became my intimate friend, the lover of my soul. He took me through the areas of pain in my past and present and healed me. He showed me how loved I was. He showed me, we did an exercise um, where we got a picture of ourselves when we were young girls. And I looked at this young girl, and she was so beautiful, smiling. And he told me, that is me, a beauty of his creation. And I didn't want to hurt her anymore. Most of all, he took me to his word <laughs> and showed me how to read and find him there. 
We talked together. His Holy Spirit shows me everything about him. I'm so grateful. No words can express how I love him, how he loves me. He says, Isaiah 54, 4, fear not, for you no longer will live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of widowhood. I'll praise, praise and glory to him. Today, I walk in gratitude and faithfulness by hopefully soon serving in his church, by being his hand and feet for those that need to know his great love. And I, as I thanked Amanda and Brianna and everyone here in the church, and most of all, Jesus, I'm eternally grateful to the gifts that he has given to me, and that's my family. That's my family and my deep friends who walked this journey with me, even maybe when they didn't want to, right from the beginning. I love you. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All praise and glory goes to you. And I really hope that others might want to venture to find this beautiful, gracious gift he gives. Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies. I know that took a lot of courage, and I know everybody really appreciated hearing what God has been doing in your life. Now, just a few closing words to the graduates. It has been such a pleasure to walk this freedom um, journey with each of you this year. I am blown away by the commitment and hard work you've put in this journey to make it so meaningful. And many of, as many of you shared last week, it's learning and growing along each si alongside each other that's been so powerful. As we move forward now with our lives, I want to encourage you to remember whose you are. You are his masterpiece. You have been chosen. Jesus has created you anew and set you free so that you can do the things that he planned for you long ago. The reality is we will fail and mess up, but remember what Ken said in the last session. Both Judas and Peter were chosen disciples. Both betrayed Jesus. But the difference between Judas and Peter was Judas handled his betrayal on his own. He let his pride shame and anger control him, and it destroyed him. Peter, on the other hand, wept bitterly. And he heard, when he heard that Jesus had risen, he ran to Jesus. When they were out on the boat fishing after Jesus died, and they saw him on the shore, he jumped in the water and ran to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Don't let your slip up and sin keep you enslaved. This is exactly why Jesus came died, and rose again, so we could be free. He has broken the power of shame and death. Run to Jesus. He loves you. He wants your heart. Moving forward, remember to use the tools that you've learned and continue to walk in freedom. You have so many gifts. Keep using them. God created you for a purpose. Let's pray. 
Dear Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much for what you've done in these lives and all the other participants who aren't graduating, all the work that you've been doing. And I pray a blessing over them now as they step forward and continue to walk in freedom. We live in a fallen world. We have sin in our hearts. But we also know that you love us, that you have a plan for us, and that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, encouraging us to do the good works that you've created us to do. So I pray a blessing on these ladies. Thank you so much for their courage. Thank you so much for the work that you have done in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Thanks for sharing, everyone, for Freedom Sessions. And this is a program that I know was placed on Amanda's heart and a few other people's hearts, and we were so excited to run it. And I just pray that that same kind of energy is a testimony that goes forward, too, and, and hopefully future years, too, when we can run something like this again and uh, bring people to know Jesus, be, bring people to experience real transformation in their hearts. Actually, a lot of what I want to share today is about that experiencing Jesus, experiencing God, and not just knowing stuff about God. And that's what's so beautiful about the Heart of Freedom sessions. It, the goal is to actually have Jesus come in and work in your life. So it's not just knowing a bunch of stuff that will help you, because that gets you so far. But, so here we go. We are in a series called What's the Hurry? Taking a look at one of the biggest enemies in our world and it's not, you know, the things that we always want to go to really quickly, like the crumbling economy or the mess that we have that we call politics or just all the identity dysphoria issues that are going on in the world and not even just the fact that every socially divisive topic now it just has a greater and further divide. In the words of, uh, lost it here really quick, so, uh, in Dallas Willard, uh, a spiritual mentor, pastor, and author, he said, one of the greatest threats that we find to our health and our sanity and our faith says hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. And then even earlier, another author and a psychologist, Carl Jung, said it even more clearly, uh, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil in action in our lives. So let me start by asking you this question we're going to dive into today. What's the most important thing that you do daily in your lives? You could even throw these things out if you want. Like, what's a bit of a routine, a habit? Is it brushing your teeth? What's the most important thing you do? Cleaning up your laundry? Maybe you could be spiritual about it. We're in church, right? Do you pray every day? Is that the most important thing you got? Not a lot of audience participation here. That's all right. There's a few different things, right? Maybe it's just like getting that Netflix dose so you can keep up with your spouse and you're, you know, like that's that cute moment. I know when my wife Netflix cheats on me, that's a bit of a divide in our relationship, so we make sure we line up on that, hopefully. Here's the thing. As we're doing a deep dive into this pandemic of an issue in our world, hurry, we are using a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Homer as a bit of a guide. We're also taking a deep look into the life of Jesus, not just the stuff Jesus said, not just the facts and data, but the lifestyle of Jesus. And what we want to do is 
not just say we believe in the things he said and everything, but actually the way Jesus lived is crucially important to our lives and our faith and our ability to connect with God and each other and have some peace in our own lives as well. And if you've joined us for the last few messages, you can check them out online. We did a bit of an overlook, really just proving the fact of the damage that hurry and rushed uh, pace of life and the noise and craziness of the world and our disconnection from time does. And what we've established is the fact that we need to be living like Jesus lived, literally taking a look through the Gospels more and more. And today we're looking at what I think and what I think is pretty clear we see is the most important practice Jesus had in his life daily. You have a thought, you throw it out. It wasn't fasting or miracles, actually. It wasn't even reading the scriptures. It wasn't even prayer. That was part of it, actually. But let's, let's read some scripture here. So in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 14, and this is where Jesus had just finished performing a miracle, healing a man with an awful skin condition that disqualified him from being present with any sort of social gathering or interaction, any sort of relationship or community. Uh, He had leprosy. So Jesus heals this man, and then he asks something kind of strange of this man after this amazing miracle. So Luke chapter 5, verse 14. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to a priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear and be healed of their sickness. Talking about Jesus. And then he ends here. This is what we're looking at today in verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It's a strange thing when you read that story, right? Jesus does this massive thing, and he says, don't tell anybody, but still the news gets around, and what does Jesus do? He kind of just, he doesn't take that energy. Instead, he goes off to a lonely place and prayed. Um, And then in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, right, like the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark is just an overview of pretty much like Jesus' first day on the job, And starting in verse 35, we just read this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Matthew chapter 3, this is, again, the start of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was baptized, confirmed, and affirmed by God. Then this light came from heaven in this voice and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, this massive thing. And And then what does Jesus do right away next? Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened up and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then right away, the next chapter, which the original scripts, there aren't chapters or anything. It goes on to say, then Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What a bizarre thing. The first huge moment of Jesus' career that we have this, his ministry, we have this entire faith, thousands, hundreds of thousands of millions of churches around the world gathering, worshiping Jesus. And this is his start into public ministry on earth. And then he goes away into the wilderness. What we're reading here is the original Greek word, and it it was different in each of these verses. is why I picked them. Uh, This Greek word called aremos. Can you read the characters at the top there? Anybody fluid in Greek? Well, now you know one word, so that's all right. Pronounced aremos. It could be translated as solitary place, desolate place, lonely place, quiet place, 
secret place, the Pentecostals use that one passionately, uh, or wilderness, uh, essentially away from people, away from noise, away from stuff. This word is used 48 times in the New Testament, 35 of those times it's used describing practices Jesus did to connect with God using prayer. We read these statements, it's hugely important. It's one of the things Jesus did constantly and we can't ignore this practice of Jesus, especially the way that it almost seems to be compulsory, like not just when there's a convenient spare moment of time. In fact, you could probably almost make a chart throughout the gospel books uh, in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when things, the heat gets on and stuff gets busier and crowds are forming around Jesus and what would be, you know, in our minds, a perfect opportunity to preach almost directly, then Jesus takes off into a quiet place, a secret place, the wilderness. It's where Jesus has all his major connections with God. So we can't ignore this. We need this. Sometimes Jesus would even send his disciples away, just get out of my space for a sec. I need this quiet place. And it's so bizarre. This is actually an opposite reality of what we kind of have going on in our world. See, because if we spend time what could be called silence and solitude, it can be easily seen as just being lazy or disengaged, especially when the heat's on, right? Like, this is your opportunity and time to get going, and then you just take some time for yourself in quiet. Looks really poorly. Uh, Andrew Sullivan, Time Magazine author, who at one point, following massive burnout, he checked himself into a digital detox center uh, where just there's no phones, there's nothing that makes noise, there's no beeps. He wrote this, which is, it just connects so well. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has disproven the unprovable about God, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. And then this chilling statement. If churches finally realize that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, not the stuff that we poke at and want and and just yell at and make big marches about. The greatest threat today is not hedonism, but distraction and noise. If we realize that, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled generation. Who here is part of that generation? That's me, right? <laughs> Fragile, frazzled digital generation. We're a mess. There's so much noise constantly. We need to really take serious this practice of Jesus' lifestyle for so many reasons. Richard Foster, the author of an amazing book, Celebration of Discipline, spiritual mystic, uh, wrote this. Our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep you buried in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfying knowing that you are far from God. So we need something to counteract this noise. We need something that Jesus clearly knew that he instructed his disciples in. 35 of those 48 times was Jesus. The rest of the times was the disciples taking up Jesus' practice, saying you need to spend some time in silence and solitude and connect with your Father God. One author said, without silence, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Essentially saying you can't actually follow Jesus without having silence in your life in some form or fashion at some point in time. Uh, Spanish priest St. John of the Cross said silence is God's first language. Mother Teresa said God is a friend of silence. So I think that case is established. But here's what I want to do this morning is take a look at five 
major things that we experience when we actually practice this thing that Jesus did, what he experienced, and what we can experience too as followers of Jesus when we practice silence and solitude. So the first one is we face down evil. Does that get you ramped up? How cool is that? It is so easy to think of silence and solitude as this new agey thing that's so popular. Oprah would say it all the time, just take some me time, right? And just, uh, there's a TV, one of my favorite TV shows, Parks and Rec, where you just have like, uh, uh, what do they call it? I, I can't even remember now. My wife, she will know it too. What's the special day they call? Treat yourself day or whatever, right? You just have a me day. Go to the spa. Thank you. I was totally lost there. Just have some me time, right? When we see the way that Jesus did silence and solitude, it isn't this modern, narcissistic, self-fulfilling, like, I don't need you, I just need me, and I'm just going to listen to me and my favorite podcast and get my AirPods on. Instead, Jesus and Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist, when they went out into the Aramos, when they went into silence and solitude, they went down to face evil. That's what happened when Jesus, first thing in the ministry, he's baptized and he goes off into the desert because only in the silence and solitude could he take on the devil face to face like that. There's this amazing remote island off the coast of Ireland called Skellig Michael. It's the westmost point of Europe. And thousands of years ago, or about a thousand years ago, monks would go out there, uh, just a few of them, and they'd spend several months there in order to, and I love this, it was written in a historical book, they would go there to do battle with Satan on behalf of Ireland and all of Europe. How amazing is that? That's not the kind of silence and solitude we talk about in our world, where we think it's just being lazy and taking a day off. This is intense and it's action-based. See, solitude is intentional. Isolation is just escape. Solitude is safety. Isolation is danger. You're disconnecting your mind from reality all around you. Solitude is a time to feed and water your soul. Isolation, just doing the thing of getting away and disengaging from the world, is neglecting your physical and mental and spiritual health. So it's an active and intentional practice. We face down evil. The second thing we do with silence and solitude that we get to experience, and this one is huge, we experience God's compassionate love. I think one of the greatest losses we have in our westernized version of faith in this thing that's American Christianity that we all really experience too is that we love data. We love stuff and Bible studies. And there's, it's like a very pastoral thing actually, right? And Pastor Grant is also here too. Like you got libraries of books and bookshelves and I have like a laptop with most of my stuff in there and it often feels a little bit uh, insecure that I don't have enough books behind me just to like, pretend I'd read through all of them to write this message. We use Google, it's fine, it helps. We love data, and then the big thing is, like Rick Warren said, the last thing that the Western church needs is another Bible study. The first thing we need is to actually start experiencing God. I think the reality is a lot of Christians in the West, and some of you, and I have struggled with this a lot of times too, is that we go through our lives knowing so much stuff, thinking that if I just know more things and have more debates and get more historical facts and data, I can convert people to understand the transformational gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not it. 
We actually need to experience God, and we need silence and solitude to do that. There's two types of quiet that we can bring into our lives into practice. The first one is external quiet, which is pretty straightforward. You just shut the noise off in your life. You tell your roommate or your spouse to be quiet or go for a walk if you need to stay inside, or you go for a walk outside. If you live in a really busy area, neighborhood, maybe you need to drive to a park, but you shut off some of the outside stimulation and you make it a really literal practice. You don't even listen to music, don't read. Even some uh, scholars would say, like, don't even read the Bible. That might be a distraction enough for you. You need real silence. But the Bible is a huge, hugely important place to start. That's, I think, a good motivator to experience silence as well. But then you have internal quiet. This one's hard, especially if you've got ADD. So like, if you're like me, good luck. It sucks. There is noise all the time especially because when you finally shut down all the external noise, and this just applies to everybody, our brains are really good at filling that gap and bringing in a whole lot of more noise, right? Uh, but you know that feeling like all this past week we had uh, crews upgrading our fire alarm system and maintenance going on, so there was vacuums and drills and pressure washers and it's good stuff, but there's noise. And then when it stops, there's this like, oh, peace, right? How long does that last until your brain's like, now this thing, let's start thinking about this and going on. Or maybe there's something that deep down that you haven't really dealt with. And that starts coming up in your mind, right? When there's finally quiet. So then you're like, okay, now I got to like get Netflix going in the background so I don't think too deeply about anything. The internal noise takes time and practice and discipline to get down. Quiet does not come in a hurry. It's a discipline to get there. And I think the big thing is because we have all this stuff that the distraction and noise of our world has actually done really good to help us keep buried deep down, not deal with, and when it finally is quiet enough, it starts to come up. And the way author John Mark Comer wrote this, I think it's amazing. We might go through life never having held all of our true selves up to God vulnerably, without covers or excuses. None of our Sunday best, but just who we actually are, the good and bad, because that's what we need to actually experience God still smiling down on us, even with all of that mess. We're disasters a lot of the time, especially the stuff that we pretend isn't there. And if we don't actually bring that up to God in those moments of prayer and silence, being vulnerable, we don't actually get to experience the fact that God still loves us compassionately and graciously. So that's the second point is that in silence and solitude, properly practiced, intentionally practiced, we experience God's compassionate love. The third thing is we yield. We actually give up a little bit because, you know, there's one thing about practicing silence and solitude that sucks, that's really annoying, is it literally takes time out of your day. It takes time out of your schedule because, like all of you, I have stuff to do. And silence and solitude is a whole practice that doesn't feel very effective or efficient. You're not getting a whole lot done, it feels like, according to the world's standard of how we should be living our lives, right? And instead, when we actually practice this, we start to give up some of the control of our lives. And as somebody said, uh, really, sin is just unwillingness to trust that what God wants for you is actually your deepest happiness and what's beneficial for you. Something like silence and solitude actually might be the thing you need rather than just doing another thing that's busy and noisy in your life. I think we'd love to have control of things and a part of silence and solitude might actually just be giving up a little bit of our control and yielding to God. 
Because here's the thing, even Jesus needed silence and solitude. The God of the universe manifest as the Son of God here in human form shouldn't have anything to really hold him back, right? Even in the human form. But then he chooses to regularly, even in the face of the busiest time, most opportune times in his ministry, he's like, I'm going to take off. I even love it where when you read through the gospels, a lot of the times that he gets up super early in the morning, not just because he's like super spiritual and just, you know, 4 a.m. is like the prayer time because the earlier you can set your alarm clock, that's the more spiritual you are. Sometimes we see in churches, but because that was his only opportunity. And he's like, I need that more than sleep right now. I need some silence and solitude. I need to be with God. And at the end of the day, you can't take a look and say, okay, Jesus, I get that that was fine for you, but I'm way more important for the stuff I do. And I'm a manager of this and that. I have two full-time jobs and the kids are crazy. If Jesus needed to spend time in the Aramos, there's no way you can argue that you don't need it. So we yield. The fourth thing is that we hear the gentle whisper. This is coming straight out of 1 Kings 19, when Elijah hears God's still small voice, it says in the Old Testament. It's very rare that you hear testimonies of people talking about their experiences of hearing God in their life, and he sounds like a loud Southern Baptist preacher screaming above the noise in their life on their drive to work when they're honking their horn and you're all upset about whoever cut you off and here's God just giving it to you like Billy Graham. It's usually quiet. In the Bible, God is usually quiet. And it can sound bizarre. Like, why is that, God? You could be thunderous and roaring and he does that at points. But when it's personal, it's quiet. And I think that's because God is trying to care for us and shepherd us. And what's the antidote to noise is not more noise and not louder, right? I don't know, has anyone here ever owned a bird? Never own a bird. Uh, It's not, I mean, maybe you can, but never own a bird because here's the thing, right? If you want to have a conversation, bird thinks they can as well. They're louder, right? And you're like, hey, let's watch TV. Bird thinks they can be louder too. So you put like a cover over it. They're like, I'm going to make sure you never know I'm gone, like louder and louder, I think God speaks to us quietly because we don't need that. We don't need more noise. We need the antidote. So we need something soft and quiet. I'll even share with you what's a very common skeptical critique I've heard about people who are uh, skeptical of faith in general, all religions, saying, you know, religions came out of this era, primitive man had nothing else to do, wandering around in the desert. So what else do you do but let your imagination create this faith But then instead, what if actually there was a point in history where it was quiet enough that we could actually hear God? And instead, we've just created more and more noise that will never get there. C.S. Lewis wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a fictional satire written from the point of a devil trying to lead a man away from God. So he refers to God as the enemy. But what I love is he calls the devil's realm, Satan's realm, a world or a kingdom of noise. And he says the end goal of all of that evil is to make the whole universe nothing but noise. So we need to actually push back from that. And if you've never heard God, you might have never actually spent enough time quietly that you get the external noise shut off, that's kind of easy, and you spend enough time to get the internal noise figured out and calmed down and you turn it down to like a one. And you can start to hear God in your life. And fifth and last, and this is the best part, is 
when we spend time in the Ramos, silence and solitude, we return in love. We return with love. Every time when we follow Jesus' example, every time he took off, right, and he's performing miracles and he's teaching and there's more people gathering and you just think that, like, Jesus, you're trending and the magazines are coming and here's the news, people, like, let's get you going. He's like, let's not do that. And he spends time in the silence and solitude, goes into the wilderness, and then he comes back with more compassionate love because almost every time he comes back and returns, there's somebody with a problem who just needs love and time and care. When we practice counting to 10 when we're angry, that's like a microcosm of silence and solitude. You just calm down and slow down. The times you get to just spend, I, I love it when I go for a walk, right? When stuff is just way too overwhelming. Even the other day, I was trying to just write message stuff for church. No idea what's going on. My brain is going 100 miles a minute, trying to think about five years down the road and two months down the road and even the next five minutes, go for a walk. Most of that stuff falls away because it doesn't actually matter. Sometimes our brains are just our enemies. And then I come back focused. I come back patient. I come back with some love. And the best part about this is this is how faith can really just manifest in your life daily when you spend time in silence and solitude. Don't expect to come back with this new idea of how to bring revival in the Fraser Valley and this new massive religious movement and a way to describe theology of the Trinity in the best way that's ever happened. Nobody's figured it out. It's not like that. It's probably going to be in the small things, but the small things that actually matter way more. You'll have some more patience with somebody who's a bit difficult at work because they need that love in their life. You'll have the reminder to actually send somebody a text message to check in because they need connection and community. You'll be a bit more patient when somebody who doesn't have any silence or solitude because they're driving a Mustang cuts you off, and you're like, that's okay. I'll let it be. I'll just go slowly in my Prius. It's fine. Nice and silent. You come back from the Aramos with love. Practicing silence and solitude as an act in our life, we follow the example of Jesus the best thing about this is this is a rebellion against our world of noise. Last week, we talked about the fact that we often forget the church is meant to be a counterculture, not just to look like what the world looks like and to do everything the world does, but with Jesus on it, but to actually drive a different culture that's focused around God's kingdom. Practicing silence and solitude takes a look at the world that says silence and solitude is lazy. You say, this is the most restorative thing you could do in your life. I think we often get tempted, too, when we see things that are wrong in the world. We see stuff that's unjust, and then we think we need to bring a bigger protest and more noise to a world of noise. We need to yell up louder and harder and just make the church our own brand of noise. But the church should be a community that dedicates our efforts to creating a space where God can be heard, rather than a space where we just create more noise that drives people towards something different, but not God. So we need to bring back quiet time in our lives. I should have checked in with a kindergarten teacher. I think there's a few in this congregation here too, but do you still do quiet time in school? Yeah, I see one back there. Kindergarten teacher's like, yep. Quiet time, right? I think we need that. Why did it stop in kindergarten in grade one or two? We give our kids quiet time and it's so good for everyone else, then why don't we practice some quiet time as well? So here's the real challenge. This week, literally, find an hour somewhere, right? Wake up extra early for an hour. Stay up extra late if you can, but not for Netflix, not because Stranger Things is coming out with the next set of stuff. 
Spend an hour, maybe longer, right? And I'm not going to say you're going to need time to get here. You're going to need time to get there. It's a practice. It's not easy to just instantly get silence. Um, one more story before, before you go that just talks about this thing. A few years back, I got my wife a Groupon for this thing called a sensory deprivation spa. And you go into this like egg-shaped pod, and it's super quiet, and there's this water that makes you float, and everything's like noise-canceling. The water's the perfect temperature, so you don't even feel it, right? And you just go in there, and you just float, and you're like in space. And I hated it. <laughs> she loved it. She was like instantly loved I hated it, though. I, my brain was going with stuff I had never even thought about in my life because there was no other factors. And it probably took me, so we were in there for 60 minutes, probably took me 58 minutes until I finally shut that voice up. And then it was great. And then it was over. So I'll try it again, maybe two hours next time. You've spent your whole life being raised by a world of noise is not easy to practice something like silence and solitude. It's not easy to practice moving into the aramos like Jesus did. And it wasn't easy in his day either. That was also a world of noise. A lot of the stuff Jesus talks about, he even talks about, we scan over it. Here's how you should pray. The first thing he talks about is just where and when. He says, go into a quiet place, Right? Because this is a world of people still yelling at each other. It hasn't changed that much. We just do it on Twitter now. Practice, if you can, an hour of silence and solitude this week and see how that goes. And maybe two hours if you have the luxury. But here's the thing. Mother Teresa shared some advice when talking to another uh, spiritual leader of how to live an effective and faithful life. She said this, spend one hour a day adoring the Lord and this is meaning like in an intentional way, like in a, a Ramos, Jesus kind of way. And then also do nothing that you know is wrong. You will be fine. So that's easy, right? Just an hour a day of silence and solitude, and just don't do anything wrong. It's fine. We can do that. We'll work on the second part, right? We've got God's grace for the second part, but we can take charge of the first part. An hour a day, and you know, I, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am not practicing that for sure. I may be like, I find a moment a month and I regularly don't remember it. But this week, here's the challenge. Spend some time in silence and solitude. Beforehand, read the Gospels. Take a look at the way Jesus did it and see how that can change your life. See the kind of impacts it can do to your life's rhythms, how it can bring you back into the world with love, how you can experience Jesus and hear God in a totally different way, experience his love, and even better, and I just love that first part, is that it's something you do intentionally to do battle with evil. So I'm just going to pray, God, thank you for your example. God, thank you for everyone here who shared their testimonies of experiencing you. God, I just pray that you challenge us to want that so much more, God, not just more knowledge about you, God, but to actually experience you. God, that we can follow the example of the testimonies of taking your transformation in our life seriously. God, I pray that you bless everyone who's been through and connected with Freedom Sessions, that their journey continues on. And God, for everyone who is here, God, give us the wisdom and the opportunity. God, even bless us with that time so it's easier Maybe, but we also need to yield some of our life, but we can spend some time in silence and solitude this week and connect with you, God. Meet us in that space. Meet us in the Aramos. God, we pray all these things in your name. 
It's going to send you off with Psalm 62, verse 5 and 6. For God alone, O my soul, I wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I will not be shaken. Have a great week, everybody. See you next week.